Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on Palm Sunday of the Lord's Passion. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is once again Pope St. Leo, one of the Latin or Western Fathers of the Church. In addition, he is only one of a handful of fathers designated the Great. As Bishop of Rome in the mid-5th century, St. Leo fought against Arianism, Pelagianism, and Manichaeanism, to name only a few. As Roman society was collapsing, St. Leo provided not only sound leadership in the church, but in society at large by working vigorously to care for the needs of the poor through the corporal works of mercy. On this Sunday that marks the beginning of Holy Week, we will listen to an excerpt from his homily 67, probably delivered on Palm Sunday itself in the year 454. Spirits of the faithful, dearly beloved, should indeed always be filled with admiration for the works of God. Rational souls should cling especially to those thoughts from which they gain an increase of grace and faith. When the attention of a devout heart has been directed either to general benefits or to the special gifts of this particular grace, it drives away many frivolous thoughts and withdraws from bodily concerns into a kind of spiritual solitude. In this time of the Lord's Passion, however, we must be even more eager and more diligent that what we have reviewed in the sacred readings might be understood by the hearing of a sound intelligence, and that what has importance in the words themselves might appear even more important in their deeper meaning. Now, the first reason for lifting up our hearts is that those things which the gospel truth has related to us have been foretold by the voices of prophets, not as something about to be done, but as already accomplished. What human ears did not yet know as about to be done 
the Holy Spirit was announcing as accomplished. King David, whose offspring Christ is according to human lineage, preceded the day of the Lord's crucifixion by more than 1,100 years. He had suffered none of those torments, which he mentions as having been inflicted upon himself, because the Lord, who was going to take the suffering flesh from David's stock, spoke through his mouth. The history of the crucifixion has rightly been prefigured in the person David. David bore in himself the bodily origin of the Savior. Truly, David suffered in Christ because Jesus was truly crucified in the flesh of David. All the things, therefore, that the wickedness of the Jews inflicted on the Lord of Majesty had been fully predicted. Prophetic locution was interwoven not so much concerning future things as concerning those past. What else, then, did these things open up to us except the unchanging order of God's eternal plan? With God, things that are going to be discerned have already been decided, and future things have already been accomplished. Now, when divine knowledge foresees both the nature of our actions and the effects of our wills, how much better known to God are his own works? Surely it was pleasing to him that those things be considered as completed, which were absolutely incapable of not being accomplished. Hence, comes it that the apostles, full of God's Spirit, spoke with one voice to God when they endured the threats and the cruelty of Christ's enemies. In this very city, Herod and Pontius Pilate conspired with the pagan nations and the people of Israel to do against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, what your hands and your plan decreed to be done. Wickedness in persecuting Christ did not spring from the plan of God, did it? Likewise, the hand of his divine preparation did not arm that crime which is greater than any other crime, did it? Clearly, we must not think about this in terms of the supreme justice. What was foreknown about the malice and what was properly decreed according to the passion of Christ were very different and quite contrary. For the will to murder did not proceed from the same place as the will to die, nor did their heinous crime and the Redeemer's patience arise from a single spirit. Our Lord did not himself cause the wicked hands of his attackers to be laid upon him, but permitted this. He did not force what was going to happen actually to happen simply by foreknowing it. Yet, it was for this purpose that he had taken on flesh so that it might happen. 
finally. So disparate were the motives of the crucified and those crucifying that while what was undertaken by Christ could not be abolished, what was committed by those others could indeed have been put to a halt. He who came to save sinners did not deny his mercy even to his own murderers, but turned the evil of godless people to the good of believers. More wonderful was this grace of God in that it had been mercifully prepared, not according to human merit, but according to the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge, when the water of baptism received even those who poured out the Savior's blood. Scripture, which contains the Acts of the Apostles, tells us that when the preaching of blessed Peter the Apostle goaded the hearts of the people, and when they had acknowledged the wickedness of their crime, they said, What shall we do, brethren? And the same apostle goes on, Do penance. Every one of you should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and for all those who are far away, whom the Lord our God will call to himself. Then the writer adds this, those who accepted his words were baptized, and that very day about 3,000 souls were added to their number. Although the Lord Jesus wanted to suffer the anger of their complaints, in no way was he the author of their crime. He did not cause them to wish this, but he yielded so that they could do it. He thus used the madness of these blinded people and in the same way the treachery of his betrayer. He was willing to call him back from the enormity of that crime through acts of kindness and through his words by taking him in as a disciple, by elevating him to an apostle, by warning him with signs, by blessing him in the mysteries so that as no kindness was lacking to him for his correction, there was no occasion for sin. You, however, most wicked man from the seed of Canaan and not Judah, no longer a vessel of election, but the son of perdition and of death, you believe that the devil's suggestions would be more profitable for you. Inflamed with the fire of avarice, you were burning for the acquisition of 30 silver pieces. You did not see what riches you lost. Even if you did not think that the promises should be believed, for what reason was so little a sum of money put ahead of what you had received? You were giving commands to demons. You were healing the sick. You were honored with the apostles. And so that you might appease the anger of your avarice, 
threats from the purse lay open to you. But the less lawful it was, the more it incited your soul, which had been warned about the prohibitions. No, the sum of the price did not please you so much as the magnitude of the sin. Hence, the crime of your commerce is not so much detestable because you assessed the Lord at too low a value, but because you sold even your Redeemer himself to prevent him from taking pity on you. It was right for you to incur that punishment of yours, since in the punishment you inflicted, no one more cruel than you could be found. When, therefore, at the predetermined time, Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and was buried according to the plan of his own will, it was not a necessity brought upon by his own condition, but the redemption of our captivity. As a result, the word was made flesh so that our suffering nature could be taken from the virgin's womb. What could not be carried out against the Son of God could be allowed against the Son of a human being. Although the mark of divinity shone on him even at his birth, and all the growth of bodily progress was full of divine miracles, he nevertheless took the reality of our weakness and excluded nothing of human infirmity from himself except participation in our sin. That way, he might bring his own nature to us and heal ours in himself. A double remedy has been prepared for us miserable people by the Almighty Physician, one of which is in the mystery, the other in his example. Through the one divine grace is conferred, virtue of the other, human response is required. As God is the author of justification, so human beings are debtors of devotion. Consequently, this ineffable restoration of our salvation, dearly beloved, leaves no place for pride or idleness. We both have nothing beyond what we have received and are continuously warned against holding on to the gifts of God's grace without using them. With all justice, then, the one who goes ahead of us with help also insists upon his conditions, and the one who leads us to glory urges us to gracious obedience. As a result, the Lord rightly became the way for us, since we cannot come to Christ except through Christ. Whoever walks his path of patience and humility comes to Christ through Christ. On this journey, the heat of labor is clearly not wanting, nor the gloom of sorrow, nor the tempests of fear. 
On it are the treachery of wicked people, persecutions by the godless, threats from those in power, and insults from the proud. Yet, the Lord of hosts and the King of glory endured all things in the form of our weakness and in the likeness of sinful flesh, so that among the dangers of this life, we should not much wish to flee by running away as to overcome by enduring. Pope St. Leo the Great, pray for us. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, who as an example of humility for the human race to follow, caused our Savior to take flesh and submit to the cross. Graciously grant that we may heed his lesson of patient suffering and so merit a share in his resurrection who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord.